Welcome to the TechEd Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Welcome into the Tech Ed Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kirkner. It is great to have you with us. And I have a confession to make to our audience, and that is before I came over to this, the world of education about six, seven years ago, I had no idea what an industry-recognized credential even was. And that's somebody who was running manufacturing companies. I'd maybe heard of a couple just a little bit, but didn't really even know what they were. Then I get over to the world of education. And believe it or not, at that time, there are like 900 of these things. So 900 different credentials that students and learners can earn as they are pursuing career pathways. And right off the bat, I knew that there wasn't something quite right about that. If we're telling students that these career pathways are improved if you have a credential, if we tell them that these credentials lead to great opportunities in whatever endeavor you are pursuing, and those endeavors aren't there when they get there, we have just lied to that student. Now, the truth of the matter is, at least in my opinion, there are a lot of industry back in the industry recognized credentials that have a great place in the world of industry, in the world of manufacturing, and in the world of education, but we have a lot of work to do to make those valued on the employment side. That's one of the reasons I've really been looking forward to our discussion today with our guest. His name is Matt Guiani, and Matt has a couple of roles. His first role is that he is a research associate for the Texas Behavioral and Science and Policy Institute, and secondarily, he is Assistant Professor of Practice, Department of Educational Leadership and Policy, University of Texas, Austin. I only hope that my career one day takes me to a place where I can have that many titles. But Matt, obviously an impressive background, doing some impressive things. Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be here. And we're pleased to have you. We're going to dive right into our first question, and that is uh, regarding the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and the background of that organization and the partnership with the University of Texas, Austin, that led to the project that we're going to talk about today. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, it was kind of informal and uh, haphazard in a certain sense. Um, I had not worked with the Fordham Institute before. Um, I had done some research on career and technical education for that's been disseminated in different places. And they came across that and just reached out and said, hey, have you done any work on industry certifications? Because we're kind of interested in this and we haven't seen much research on it. And of course, studying these certifications was kind of a natural extension of my research on career and technical education. Uh, so we discussed different ideas, what types of research questions we could answer. And eventually we came up with an idea to kind of uh, pursue the study that has now been disseminated just about a month ago. That's really about industry recognized certifications in Texas with implications for states across the country. So that's a bit about how the partnership came about. And so tell us what prompted this specific work on what we call IRCs or industry recognized credentials. How did you determine that this was the area of focus? Yeah, it's a good question. So what I've seen happen over the past decade, but really accelerating in the past five years, is this strengthening emphasis on career readiness for high school graduates, right? So uh, for a while, particularly from kind of the post-World War II period all the way past the civil rights movement, it was all about college access, college access, college access, right? Uh, and really reducing a lot of the inequities and inequalities in higher education access. 
Eventually, policy shifted to focus on, well, what about college readiness, right? Lots of students are getting into college, but they're not successful when they get there. They're not completing, they're accumulating lots of debt. And now, I think in the past few decades, there has been this reconceptualization of what are we preparing high school graduates for? Maybe not all students need to go to higher education. Maybe there's some viable paths for students uh, after high school, but we have to make sure they're actually equipped with the knowledge and skills they need to succeed in the economy. So there's been this resurgence of interest in career and technical education as one component of career readiness. But there are still lingering questions about, is CTE valuable? Do employers care? Do they know what K-12 career and technical education programs of study are? Well, maybe we can communicate the value of what students are learning if we also ensure students are earning these industry-recognized credentials, right? So what's happened in the past five to 10 years in particular is state policy has reconceptualized college and career readiness to include things like the completion of CTE programs of study, but also earning industry-recognized certifications. And in Texas and in many other states, before 2017 or you know, before five or 10 years ago, states didn't even collect this data. It was impossible to do the type of study that we just did because data on industry-recognized certifications wasn't even collected systematically. So both the changes in policy really prompted the study, but also the fact that for the first time, we can actually do a study like this because data is actually being collected on it. So th that was kind of the impetus of this particular study. I'm really interested in finding out some of the things that you learned about industry-recognized credentials. So I know there's a number of findings from your study. We're going to go through several of those findings today. Before we get into that, just gives it, give us a synopsis of the study itself. What is an industry-recognized credential for our listeners who might not know? Who are the students that were a part of this? Were there specific CTE fields and categories on which you focused? Tell us about that. Yeah, good question. So industry-recognized certifications and the language of IRCs is still relatively new, particularly in the K-12 kind of policy space. So just to be clear about what we're talking about. So to differentiate from certificates, post-secondary or educational institutions will issue certificates, certificates of completion, kind of like degrees, but usually for fewer credits. Industry-recognized certifications are different, right? These are issued by either industry groups individual businesses, or sometimes state agencies like Texas, uh, the Department of Licensing and Regulation can issue licenses for different occupations. They're also different because you don't get a certification just for completing coursework. There's usually some type of external assessment, whether it's like a standardized multiple choice assessment or some type of portfolio uh, that folks have to do in order to demonstrate they have the knowledge and skills that are being certified by this certification. So just some examples, you mentioned manufacturing, obviously there's lots of different certifications within the manufacturing space. Uh, companies like Adobe and Microsoft and Google might have all different certifications in the kind of IT or data analysis space. Things like if you're a cosmetologist, you need to get a license in order to be a cosmetologist. You can't practice if you don't have that license. So that's an example of the state agency, the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation or the, the other state's equivalents um, would certify whether folks are a licensed cosmetologist, right? But there can also be kind of third-party groups that also serve in a licensing capacity that then issue these certifications. So that's what the IRCs consist of. Got it. And as far as the students that were involved, um, tell us a little bit about that. Did you have specific students that participated in the study? Yeah. So there were really two parts of the study. 
One was a large statewide quantitative analysis of the relationship between students earning industry-recognized certifications and their college and career outcomes, right? So that included every student who graduated from a public high school in Texas between 2017 and 2019. Uh, Texas is big, so we have about 300 to 350,000 students every year who graduate from public high schools. So the total sample there was over a million students who graduated between 2017 and 2019. Of those, a little more than 60,000 of them earned industry-recognized certifications. So as I mentioned, this is fairly new. It's growing, so still not a huge percentage of students earn them. But 60,000 students is a non-trivial number of students who earn these certifications, and we can then look at their outcomes. I also spoke to about a dozen students in different schools across the state uh, to really gauge their understanding of like, do you know what a certification is? You're in a CTE program. Have you heard of this? Who's talked to you about it? What has been your experience? Uh, do you know what the actual assessment consists of? Are you prepared to take it? Have you gone through that process? Um, so it was really, really informative. I mean, it's amazing how you can analyze a million students and their data, and you have some really interesting insights, but then you have a conversation with a dozen, and sometimes the insights are even more profound, or you understand things much more deeply than you would just looking at the data itself. So uh, yeah, the study included both methods, both quantitative and qualitative. So let's go through, you know, a number of really interesting findings. And I think there were six that we're going to reference today and, and ask you some questions about those. Um, just so our audience is clear, I'll, I'll read the finding and then and then we'll go ahead with a question. The first one is, quote, in general, IRCs are weakly related to increases in short-term employment, while a few specific IRCs are positively related to increases in short-term earnings, particularly for students not attending college and part-time college students. So I referenced in the intro, uh, you know, my experience on the industrial side, which was, you know, I had never heard of these really. And then I get to education and like the first thing people are telling me is, yes, you earn these credentials and there's jobs in industry. And I'm like, well, maybe for some of them, but but not in the in the space that I was working in. So the fact that, you know, maybe there's there's a lack of correlation in terms of earnings or, or even employment, how much of that do you think is related to a lack of knowledge on the on the part of employers as to the fact that these even exist? A ton which is the irony because right. we call them industry recognized credentials right. or industry-based certifications. The whole point is that industry should recognize them, right? And it's fascinating that you mentioned manufacturing and your mm -hmm. personal experience right? where you say, I'd never heard of these things, right? Where I would have thought manufacturing was actually one of the fields where you needed the certification in order to get in the job, right? So I was thinking there's other types of certifications like the Microsoft Office suite, right? Like, sure. sure, it's good for students to know Excel, but how many jobs require that? List it as a requirement. You need this certification in order to get the job. I think that's an open question. So we didn't find much relationship between those types. In Texas, they're called business certifications, but they were sure. largely Microsoft Office certifications. So it makes sense there that you don't see a really strong relationship with things like first year earnings. But for other fields like manufacturing, I actually would have thought that there was more awareness from employers and from industry groups. I think we see some of the strongest relationships in places where it is a license or where it's required mm -hmm. to actually get in the job. So I was really surprised to see that cosmetology was actually one of the fields with the biggest relationship with first year earnings. And that's because you can't be a licensed cosmetologist if, if you don't right. have the license. So it really is like a legal barrier to practice. 
So it sure. makes sense we'd see greater influence in those contexts, but I, I was really struck by your experience uh, right off the bat because that's different than what I would have assumed, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and me too, now, now having worked in education, it's such an interesting juxtaposition between the view of industrial employers and the, and the view of, of educators when it comes to the third-party credentials. One of the things that in our audience knows, I'm an advocate for the right one. And the, to me, the, the ones that are most effective are the ones where you've had a large group of employers, regardless of what the market is. And this is, this is me speaking, not your study, of course, but um, where you have a large group of employers who are you know, involved in establishing the competencies and, and then valuing those, those students and learners as they emerge from the program. Still, you know, it's still a relatively new phenomenon, but certainly you and I would, uh, would agree on that perception that there's work to do on the part of certification bodies if we are to further their value in, in whatever the employment endeavor is. I want to move on to the finding, second finding in your study, Matt, and, and that is this. IRCs in agriculture, business, and health science are positively associated with college enrollment and persistence, but those in cosmetology, manufacturing, and transportation are negatively associated. So the question is, is the reason for that as obvious as it might seem? Those, those last three, cosmetology, manufacturing, and transportation, don't necessarily require a post-secondary uh, degree or education, or is there another reason for it? I think it's as obvious as it would seem to a certain extent, where um, there are certain fields that have stronger alignment with post-secondary programs, and there are certain fields that have less alignment. So I think I keep harping on cosmetology, but that's a good example. Like going to a university, it's difficult to continue your cosmetology education if that's the field that you want to continue in. So you wouldn't expect to see masses of students pursuing cosmetology at a university, right? While other fields there might not be as strong of a link between the certification and jobs you can get immediately out of high school. So you might uh, be more likely to pursue college. I think health science is an interesting one because we see it's one of the few fields where we see both an increase in earnings and a positive relationship with uh, going to college. So a lot of these, there's just this inverse relationship between certain types of training and experience are better for getting a job and better for increasing your earnings in the short term, while others are more strongly related to kind of undergraduate programs, bachelor's degree programs, and so forth. So I think there's trade-offs that lots of students have to do about, do I do something that helps me get a job or increases my earnings in the short term, or do I kind of invest in my education to develop more long-term skills? But there are at least some programs like health science where we actually see they promote both, right? You're not diverting students from college, but you're also promoting their earnings, right? So I think the key for us is to think about how do we identify those, scale those, and ensure that these types of programs are really promoting students' success holistically. Do you have thoughts on how you do that, how you identify and scale those credentials? It's a great question. I would say the first is to do the research, right? Because I think you can make some theoretical arguments like uh, for many of these fields, why they might be related to college programs. And then you look at the data and you see, oh, actually they're diverting students from college or they're not promoting students' earnings, right? I mean, once again, like uh, the manufacturing one was super fascinating because that's one of the ones where it's like, we really need students to get these certifications industry groups are demanding it. That's the discourse I hear in the educational policy space, but you don't know until you look at the data whether that is all true, right? 
Um, so I think the first step is just to look at the data. And then I think states need to make tough decisions about where's the best return on investment, uh, which programs are actually promoting student success. And they have to make some key funding and resource decisions about what should we invest in. So that's political and difficult, but I feel like it's necessary to most effectively serve students. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I sit probably in many of the same types of meetings that you do. And on the policy side, we hear about these third party certifications all the time. And you're right, they're saying industry is demanding it. And, and I would just tell the, tell folks that for the vast majority of them, at least that I've been involved with, industries not demanding it unless they were involved in creating the competencies and creating the certifications. But if there's an opportunity for them to, uh, you know, to think a little bit further down the path of how do I want to present this to education and how do I really want to, what's most important is add value for the student. That has to be all about, in my opinion, making sure that there is an employer on the other side of that certification that is begging and, and asking for those competencies and then understanding, because I think there are a lot of employers that would benefit from a lot of third-party certifications, independent certifications that don't know to look. And so we've got we've got some work to do as well. I want to move on to the third finding from your study, Matt, and that is that only a handful of IRCs are related to, as you put it, overall success beyond high school. Uh, the question would be, you know, how do you define success beyond high school? So what, what we did in the study is take cohorts of high school graduates and then follow them for one year to look at their labor market outcomes and their college enrollment. We also looked at their college persistence in the second year after uh, high school graduation. So we defined post-secondary success uh, as you either enrolled in college. We didn't say anything about did you complete? Did you, were you successful when you got there? We're just saying, did you enroll in college? Or did you earn about $25,000 a year, which was 200% of the poverty line, right? The issue is almost no students were at that earnings threshold, right? I mean, less than 5% of students were earning $25,000 a year. Even if we looked at students who were definitely not enrolled in college and were only working, almost none of them hit that earnings threshold. So... On one hand, we find that there's a positive relationship between these certifications and first-year earnings. Good. Okay, that's that's better than it being a negative relationship. But on the other hand, my issue at this point, and something I'm really thinking about a lot, is that our K-12 policy framework is defining students as being ready for career if you earn one of these certifications. And it's increasing your earnings by 8%, 8%. Uh, and you're making 10 to 12 grand a year on average, right? Like, I don't know how we can consider that career success or career readiness. So we used a higher threshold and still found almost no students were exhibiting that career success. Um, but there aren't consistent standards, I think, for how this is defined. We're just at the place where we have the data now where we can look at high school graduates and their first year earnings. So now the question is, what standards should we use, right? And I don't know. It's it's a philosophical debate. It's a policy debate. And it's a moral debate uh, that I think we need to continue to have. Absolutely. And probably a regional debate as well. I mean, it's that, yeah. that of all the things we've talked about so far today, that's the one that, that really is, I find the most baffling. I mean, I think about, and we're in different states. I'm in Wisconsin. You're in Texas. Uh, I mean, you graduate from high school here with no certifications, and you can go to work in manufacturing for 
you know, minimum 15, $16 an hour. I mean, minimum that, and that's, you know, just doing quick math, that's 32 to $34,000 a year. If you, if you have no overtime at all over the course of that year. So that, and I know you don't have an answer and I'm not, I'm not challenging the conclusion other than to say that it's a, uh, it's just a really interesting anecdote that, uh, you know, maybe we just need to find better avenues to these for these students to find those types of career fields because at least at least in my part of the country, you can live well above poverty if you go to work every day. And but we'd love to have more time to explore that with you at some point. But I, I do want to move on to the to the next finding, which is the fourth one, and and that one says that the majority of students who earn IRCs are not employed in the industry most closely aligned with their credentials uh, if they enter the workforce nor are they enrolled in related college majors if they go to college. So, I mean, what I'm hearing from that is if I earn a certification and, you, you know, you pick whatever the, the competency area is, there's not a high correlation of students that are actually either going to work in that area of study or continuing their education in that area of study. Another really fascinating finding. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think two reasons. One is that I think an interesting finding we also came across that's related to this is that many students are earning these certifications outside of the career and technical education program focus. So they might be enrolled in health science and then they're earning a business certification on the side or something like that. So there's some misalignment there. Also, one point is that I think a lot of students are exploring what they're interested in. And this really came out in the student interviews. So we had a student who is getting an auto tech certification, right? And I said, oh, do you want to pursue that in the future? And she said, oh, I want to go to veterinary school. Uh, and I said, well, why are you in this program? And she said, well, my dad's a mechanic. My uncle's a mechanic. I never want to pay someone to fix my car. And like, as a female, I almost sensed that she was like, it's even more important to me, like as a female to be able to do that myself, right? So it was a kind of self-sufficiency thing. It was just like a logical thing to know how to do, but it didn't sound like she was gonna use the certification for a job. And we heard that from many different students in different contexts that they just didn't see the career path as the one they were definitely going to pursue. So I think the question is like, is this an issue or not? And from my perspective, I think it's totally fine for students to enroll in different courses with different subjects while they're in high school, explore what they're interested in. And I think that's a really valuable experience to just expose students to different pathways and opportunities and allow them to choose what works for them. But I think the question is, should we invest in these certifications if students aren't using them? When the, the value of the certification should be the signal to the labor market that will help you get a better job, that will help you make more money, but if students aren't going to use them overwhelmingly, it's kind of like, what's the point of investing in the certifications? So once again, although we found lots of positive relationships between the certifications and the first year earnings, I think the most typical story is that the student who earns the certification doesn't go into that field or you know, doesn't use the certification in the job market. So it's another tough question for states and those who are investing in this, like, is it worth the investment if that's how? And then the related question is, do we need to change student behavior by forcing them into these paths and saying, don't change fields, don't change majors, go get a job? Or do we just recognize that these are 15, 16, 17 year olds? They're still exploring, figuring out their identities. And this is just a natural part of their kind of social and academic and career development. And we shouldn't expect a really tight alignment between the certifications and employment. So I don't know. I don't know the answer, but definitely questions to explore. 
Oh, those are great questions to explore. So you and I would certainly agree on the, I think on both parts of your answer, but on the first part, which is that there's certainly value in students experiencing these things, you know, while they're in high school. And, and just because you didn't pursue a career pathway that you studied for in high school, Lord knows I didn't, you know, that that's not necessarily a bad thing, but, but there is the investment component to it, as you suggest that, all right, is, is that is a, is a IRC really the best route then for an individual like that? And then the, the second part about, you know, the value of the workforce. And my personal belief is that with, you know, like I said, I came over to education, 900 of these things, at least at the time, because somebody counted them up like five or six years ago. And I was like, oh my goodness. And, and like anything else that we can buy or invest in, there's varying values and varying effectiveness. And I think, you know, for states to explore that aspect of it and really understand as you did, which of these certifications are leading to jobs, how well established are they? Are they industry backed? Are employers valuing them? Really, really important work that you've done there. The fifth finding that we're going to talk about today uh, is this, and this is the finding from Matt Guiani's study on IRCs, CTE concentrators, as well as Hispanic, Asian, and higher achieving students are most likely to earn IRCs while schools, and, and parenthetically, not students, race, ethnicity, or socioeconomic background, schools are the most important predictor of earning an IRC, which, which, which is basically telling us that it's not about you know, who you are or what field you're in or what, what have you, it's what school did you go to? And, and the correlation there was fascinating. So, you know, the, the question is, did you see the correlation in the types of schools that are promoting IRC? For, for example, uh, you said zero students earned an IRC at more than 40% of Texas high schools. So as ubiquitous as these are in Texas, 40% of the high schools in Texas, nobody earned an IRC, but nearly two thirds earned an IRC at the school with the highest rate. That's telling us something. What is that telling us? Yeah, there's a couple findings here that are are very closely related. And, you know, not to elaborate on this too much, but of course there's lots of research, kind of historical research on career and technical education that conceptualized CTE as a form of tracking, right? Where low lower ability students, students of color, low income students, immigrant students, students with disabilities were disproportionately funneled into these vocational education programs that were low quality, low value, didn't lead to much post-secondary preparation or good jobs. That's why there's a lot of skepticism, I think, about career and technical education. And in fact, it was very intentional in my view that vocational education got rebranded and reconceptualized as career and technical education because of some of the stigma that was associated with these programs in the past. So it's always critical for me to really look at equity in these contexts, but it was really fascinating that what I found was very different than what I would expect, right? Where higher achieving students are more likely to earn the certifications than lower achieving students. We don't see much difference by race, ethnicity group, and in fact, Black students in Texas were the least likely to earn these certifications. And we see pretty minimal differences based on income, right? Low-income students are a little more likely to earn them, but not much. In contrast, we see really big differences across schools, right? Where schools explain the majority of variation in these certifications. So it's not variation within schools, like which students at the school earn them, it's really between schools where we see most of the variance. So when we realized that, I tried to answer the question of, well, what characteristics of schools are associated with these certifications? So I looked at things like the demographic characteristics of the schools, how much they promote career and technical education. Uh, Texas also has these like school models. So like early college high schools, uh, they have T-STEM academies. 
P-Tech schools with their pathways in technology, early college high schools. So it's like a technology-focused early college high school. And just if folks aren't familiar, early college high schools are schools where students can earn an associate's degree by the time they graduate high school. So they're enrolling in a substantial amount of college credits and can earn an associate's degree. So I, I was curious, oh, are any of these school characteristics associated with the certification rate? And overwhelmingly, the answer was no. Like nothing that I analyzed really found a strong correlation. So the question is like, well, what's going on? What is it about certain schools where certifications are really prominent? Uh, my best guesses, and these are just guesses and speculation at this point, I think teachers are critical, right? If teachers come from a field where they've worked in the field and no one cared about the certification, well, why would they promote it with their students, right? They might just ignore it. Um, also, I'm curious if the schools emphasize it in their strategy, right? Okay, we need to make sure students are college, career, or military ready. How are we going to do that? Are we going to do it with certifications? Are we going to do it with CTE? Are we going to do it with dual credit? Are we going to make every kid take the SAT or ACT, right? Schools have lots of different options for responding to accountability mandates. So the question is, how do schools do that? How much do they prioritize certification? So I imagine that's a key part of a story that we need to investigate more and we just haven't yet. And then, as you mentioned, just like there's state policy that would like finance or fund things like certifications, do schools allocate resources to students taking the certification exams or providing support for teachers to promote the certifications, right? To train the teachers on getting the certifications. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential mechanisms, but at this point, we really don't know. Sure. And we just need to do more research on it. Just a follow-on question that occurred to me is that, did you look at all at correlation between uh, the importance of the credentials at the community college level and in the regional, uh, you know, in the regional high schools and you're, you're shaking your head. No. So that wasn't part of the part of the review. No, it's a great question. And in fact, just something broadly I've been thinking about is how do we account for what you can call the college and career context of a high school? Right. Like their proximity to colleges the types of industries that are in the area, whether the community college has programs that are aligned with the certification. We know those factors influence students' college and career decisions, whether they go to college, whether they persist in college, whether they get a job, what types of jobs they get. I didn't account for any of that. Uh, and that's just a really critical next step is how does that context influence not only the extent to which the high school promotes the certifications, but the value of the certification as a signal, right, right, has to be related to the context in which students are graduating from. Absolutely, yeah, it'd be it'd be an interesting uh, interesting follow up study to do for for somebody to do, if whether it's you or somebody else who's who's listening to take a look at that correlation. I would just say anecdotally a couple of things, and that is that we certainly see as we spend time primarily in the Midwest with a lot of educational institutions, you know, the more a regional technical or community college values those promotes them offers you know offers credit articulation in some cases for them we're seeing more and more of that from high school the more likely those regional high schools are and again it's just anecdotal i don't have data to, to prove that just just an observation but but it would be interesting to look at that correlation the other thing you know just to to clarify a little bit is that you know as i came over to the education side i you know i see had I known about some of these credentials as an industrial employer, I would have seen tremendous value in some of them, not all of them. Cause I mean, we look at a lot of them that are, you know, there's all kinds of reasons somebody comes up with a, 
uh, a credential and sometimes they're about the student and local employers. And then there's another list of like 20 other things that might be, might be um, influencing that the development of that credential. But, you know, I say to people in manufacturing, cause that's where I came from. If you had somebody that understood how to read a blueprint, how to measure a little bit about ACDC, a little bit about robot operation and programming, you know, would you place that student or that candidate for a position above somebody that had none of that? And everybody's like, well, of course. And it's like, well, you know, there are actually certifications that student can earn that would prove to you that they've done those things. Maybe you should look at them. And that's where I think the next big evolution on the personally, again, not, not specific to your study, but on IRCs is that the ones that really figure out how to promote them with employers and have employers value them. Those are the ones that are going to going to move themselves up on the on the list in terms of effectiveness. But in the interest of time, moving on to, to finding number six, which I also thought was maybe interesting, although not surprising to me, health science, business, and manufacturing, those three endeavors or those three career fields dominate the top 25 most common IRCs. What is it about these career fields that necessitate so many credentials? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think although you can kind of group them together, they're very different in terms of their focus and, and things. So I mean, health science is just being promoted all over the place. And we do see lots of benefits of health science programs. Some of the early college high schools we discussed before are helping prepare students in health science fields. Generally, there's lots of jobs in nursing and for licensed vocational nurses and certified nursing assistants and so forth. Um, so there just seems to be lots of demand for those types of certifications. And it's a heavily regulated industry, obviously, where you need the certification in order to work in the job. So that's for health science. Manufacturing, once again, fascinating conversation, uh, but I at least hear a lot about there are all of these certifications. They're really important in manufacturing and there are lots of good jobs within manufacturing. Um, so I think that's kind of the story there. Business is maybe the most interesting because at this point, I really don't know what's going on with business. And I think there's two possible stories. One is that uh, many CTE programs and folks in business programs say students need Microsoft skills or Adobe skills or other things to go into the workforce. And I think you can make an argument for that, right? I use Excel and Word all the time in my job. So like those skills are important. They're also to an extent kind of the lowest hanging fruit. They're, they're a little easier to obtain those certifications compared to even like cosmetology or health science or many of these ones that are much more highly regulated. So I think to an extent, uh, schools are responding to accountability pressures and thinking about how do we indicate students are career ready as defined by state policy. And they're thinking about how can we invest the fewest resources in order to make that happen. And I think that's part of the story for business, more research to be done. Anyone listening want to collaborate on some stuff? I think there's some stories to tell in that space. So hopefully we can learn more about it. As we go into you know, the next set of questions here, and before we get into those, for people who are hearing this and are like, oh my goodness, I really want to take a look at this study. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes for sure, but is there a place they can go to look at the full study? Yeah, it's on the Fordham Institute website. Uh, I'm happy to get the link and share it out with the audience. So it's there as well. That's great. Yep. It'll be in the show notes for the audience and we'll do that because I think there's some really interesting observations. And, and you know, I think in, in a lot of ways, to your credit, the, the study itself probably elicits more questions or as many questions as it does answers, which is great. It gives us a lot to think about. And you do suggest in the study you know, what you call four big ideas. And I want to explore a few of those in the time that we have left. Uh, the first question I have on those big ideas, Matt, is why is it so important for high schools and even for middle schools 
to help students figure out their career interests and aptitudes? Yeah, it's huge. And I've actually worked for programs for quite some time that are really focused on counseling and advising, uh, even at the middle school level, as well as the high school level. We know that students' access to information about careers, their access to information about college pathways varies tremendously across populations, across geographic contexts. So if we want to level the playing field, we just have to do more about helping young kids uh, be exposed to the diversity of incredible careers that are out there for them so we can find that spark and find something that lights them up and gives them some interest in the future. So I just think that that's really critical. Yeah, know what's out there for them, know what they like, know what they don't like. And, and you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the fact that some students will turn off to certain career pathways as early as middle school, and then you'll never get them back. So making sure that they at least have those on their radar, really, really important. You know, we, we talked a lot about IRCs in this podcast today. You also make a recommendation around apprenticeships, youth apprenticeships, and, and other opportunities for students to to pursue career pathways. Some might argue that, you know, in as much as we want students to keep their options open, if they are entering an apprenticeship program in high school, which I'm an advocate for, by the way, for the right students, but if they are uh, entering an apprenticeship program, they're, they're making a career choice even earlier in that process. So what is it about apprenticeships that you think uh, makes sense for a lot of students? Well, I do think with these types of programs, you can definitely connect much more closely with an employer you're getting lots of mentorship, you're getting lots of coaching, and you're getting the training that's embedded within the career, that's embedded within the industry or the work, rather than just kind of the academic uh, version of it. So I think for a lot of students, it can be a very clear way to see how the skills and knowledge they're gaining are directly applicable. Um, they can see themselves in a pathway. They can really feel what it's like to work in a job because lots of times we think we know what a job's going to be like. So just allowing them to really experience that, I think, can be really beneficial. You know, I grew up in the environment of manufacturing, as I suggested, came over to the world of education, had to learn a whole new vocabulary in many cases. And one of those sets of words was stackable credentials. And I know one of the four big ideas that you have in your study is to explore more stackable credentials and advocate for them. What is a stackable credential? And then why do you see them as so beneficial? Yeah. So the, I think the clearest, one of the clearest examples is in like healthcare, right? Or health science. So a student might start off with a certified nursing assistant program. Some of those are six credits, 12 credits can be done in a semester and the student can start working in a healthcare field. Next, maybe they want to be a phlebotomist. Maybe they want to go on to be a licensed vocational nurse. The stacking idea would be that everything they've learned also applies to the next program in the sequence, to the next step in their career journey. So they're not having to start from scratch, right? So you would take all those credits, all that knowledge, and apply it to the next phase. And then from licensed vocational nurse, you could be a registered nurse and then a uh, an advanced practice nurse, like a nurse practitioner or a clinical nurse specialist. So that's one example of a kind of stackable credential. Now, health science is a pretty clear career path. Uh, in many other fields, it's not as stacked and it's not as clear what the stacking entails. So I do think there's lots of room to improve upon giving students the vision of the next steps in their journey and giving them what are sometimes called on-ramps and off-ramps, right? Okay, if you want to stop here, you can get a credential, you can go work for a bit until it makes sense to come back and continue your formal education and get the next credential sometime in the future. 
But uh, speaking of measuring the right things and coming from manufacturing, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for measuring. I believe that what's, what gets measured improves. You're an advocate for measuring state accountability systems when it comes to IRCs. And that was the fourth of the four big ideas that we'll talk about today. And you'd like to see states be more selective in which IRCs count toward college and career readiness indices. So if we're making that determination, what do you think the criteria should be for which IRCs should count toward, uh, toward that credit? That's a great question. And as a researcher, I don't I don't need to suggest, <laughs> you know, it's up to policymakers to make that decision. Oh, come which on. Is very <laughs> don't make your job that easy. <laughs> but I will say that if we find IRCs that are not improving student employment and earnings, right, we find no relationship with that, that's the primary focus of industry recognized certifications why should the state invest in certifications that are not helping students get jobs, that are not improving students' earnings? Um, so there has to be at least some movement, right? Some benefit that we're seeing. Now, that's the lower threshold. The, the greater threshold is are students earning a living wage where they can sustain themselves as independent adults? Because that's how I philosophically think of career readiness, right? But I do think states need to be explicit about career readiness is not the certification. Career readiness is a standard of living, right? That you're able to get a job to support a particular lifestyle. And the question is, which certifications provide for that? Uh, uh, regularly, systematically, in a way that you can measure, uh, I think that's what states need to do. Matt Chiani is our guest here on the Tech Ed Podcast, having a great conversation about industry-recognized certifications and credentials. Very, very enlightening work that he's done. But just a couple final questions for you, Matt. And the first one is this. Based on your research, what advice would you have for educators, students, and certification bodies? And what are we doing right? And then what should we be doing better? Well, I think one key thing is that we just have to more clearly understand and communicate the relationship between these certifications and actual jobs, right? So I still think we're pretty early in our understanding of the certifications. And oftentimes we just assume that the certifications are valued, but we don't really know what the pathway is, what types of jobs and what specific employers actually care about these certifications. And I'll just say specifically for educators, unless you've been in the industry working in the past, uh, you might not know about the certifications and what types of employers actually value them. So I think we just need to provide lots more training, professional development, support to educators to help them understand how these certifications work in practice. Um, and just for certification bodies, I think a big question with any assessment is what's the predictive validity, right? Does this certification and does a particular score on an assessment or the, the issuance of the certification predict a future outcome? And if it doesn't, it doesn't have value, right? Like if it has no relationship with something that we care about in the future, like getting a job or improving earnings, then you have to question whether the certification is valued. So um, I think that's critical and ongoing work for the certification bodies. Absolutely. And I wish we had another full hour, Matt, to, to dedicate to what's been a really fascinating discussion. I know you're tight on time and and we've got to get going as well. But before we do, I want to make sure that we ask you the one final question, which we ask of every single guest here on the Tech Ed Podcast. Our audience knows it well. And that is if you, Matt Gianni, had one piece of advice for a high school sophomore, what would that piece of advice be? 
for a high school sophomore. Um, I think as a high school sophomore, you still have a bit of time to explore. And you may have had certain beliefs about yourself become solidified that maybe you think you're not a math person or maybe you don't see yourself in a particular field. But I think it's critical at that age to still experiment and to try new things and to push your boundaries and to do things that make you uncomfortable uh, and to see what sparks you to help you prepare for that next step. So we hear a lot of times that there's pressure from district level folks, from administrators to try to get kids to stick to their path, right? Stick in your lane. And I just think sophomores are a little young for that. They still have some time to explore, to push their boundaries, to try new things. Um, so with CTE, with certifications, with extracurriculars, whatever it might be, uh, it's still a process of self-discovery that honestly will continue for a decade to come, right? As you enter your career. And just on that, I'll also say that like, your career is not going to be likely a singular pathway that's clearly defined and sequential and stackable. Very rarely do we see career paths like that. It's iterative, it goes sideways, um, and it takes unexpected twists and turns. And that's all part of the journey and part of the process. Uh, so just be prepared for a wild ride. Yeah, absolutely. Part of the journey, part of the process. Be prepared for a wild ride. We had a wild ride with Matt Gianni today, all about industry-recognized certifications and credentials. You're an expert in the field. Gave some really interesting insights, and I know a lot of our certification bodies uh, that listen to the Tech Ed podcast are going to take away a lot of great ideas about how we can continue to advocate for the right certifications for the right students in the right way. And I think you gave us just a ton of information to be able to do that. Thanks, Matt, so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks again, Matt. It's been great. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.